This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning. Our first Bible reading can be found on page 923. Could I invite you to look at the Pew Bibles and follow the reading, please? It's in Romans 13, page 923, commencing at verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to neighbour, Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake up from sleep. The salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone and the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us live honourably as in the day, not in rebelling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarrelling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. The reading today uh, is Matthew 24, verse 36, and can be found on page 806 of the Pew Bibles. It's about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be, coming, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding mill together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep away, awake, therefore, for we do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have left his house, would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning, my name's Michael Jensen. If I haven't met you before, it'd be great to meet you uh, perhaps over some morning tea. Um, we're going to be looking at that passage from Romans. So it's page 923, Romans chapter 13, and uh, we're going to ask for God's help as we look into his word. Page nine, 923, Romans 13, verses 8 to 13. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us your grace so that we would hear your word, not only... 
uh, outwardly, but actually put it into practice that, that, that your word would actually change us and transform us for the glory of your great name, we pray. Amen. So are you awake? Or is the world that you are living in just a shadow, a shadow of what really is? Now today we begin the series, the season of Advent. We've already signaled that by lighting a candle. It's the season, as we know, of leading up to Christmas when we, of course, remember that we ought to shop a lot. And uh, no, we remember that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth to save us from our sin. But for hundreds of years, Christians have used the lead up to Christmas, these dying days of the year, to remind each other that not only did Jesus come once, but that he is coming again. He will return. He's coming again with glory to judge the living and the dead and to reign over all creation. History is heading his way. The future belongs to him. Everything around us may look permanent and eternal, but it is only temporary compared with his permanence, compared with his rule and his kingdom. And if he's coming again, then you and I need to be alert. We need to wake up. That's what our passage for today says in Romans chapter 13. You'll notice that Jesus himself taught his disciples to stay awake, but Paul says it as well. He says in verse 11, The hour has already come for you to wake from your slumber because your salvation, our salvation, is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So why do we need to wake up? Because there are so many things that dull our senses and distract us from reality. It's so easy to forget that what we see all around us is not all there is. It is so easily to be spiritually asleep, or as Pink Floyd once put it, comfortably numb. Thank you for those dags in the front row who remember Pink Floyd. Comfortably numb. What are the things that put you to sleep? That may be a dangerous question for a preacher to ask, I realise. But I'll never forget, as a new dad, learning to put a baby to sleep. And I developed the technique of, you know, you rock side to side, but also up and down at the same time. You know this? Takes quite a lot of training and skill. Patting the baby at the same time. It's hard for people like me who can't walk and chew gum at the same time. And all the while singing a lullaby in hushed tones, which of course is meant to relax relax the baby, but also I think relax the parent as well. It's so that they will forget whatever it is that mysteriously makes babies cry once they're fed and everything's looked after. You don't have to listen too hard to hear the lullabies of the world. You don't have to look too hard to see that it is rocking us gently, rocking us in our cradles. We are being soothed and stroked so that we will spiritually slumber and forget that Jesus is returning. One lullaby, or perhaps it's really a piece of thrash metal, is the frenetic pace of modern life that so fills our waking hours that we have no room for anything else. Do you know that feeling? You just don't have time for anything. We're totally captivated by our busyness. 
We're never even still for a moment. We expect everything to happen at warp speed because our biggest fear is being bored. We cannot bear to have a moment of free consciousness. Everything has to be immediate and now and urgent. It's one lullaby. Another soothing lullaby that makes us forget is like the Muzak in the shopping mall. Products are quite literally marketed to us as paths to personal fulfillment and spiritual enlightenment. We are gripped by a vision of a consumerist heaven in which our purchases turn out to be exactly what we need and make us who we are. Our overseas travel, our real estate, our private schools, sounding like a dinner party, isn't it? Our private schools, our clothes, and even our coffees. We have spirituality captured for us in a drink worth $4. The third lullaby is the grand symphony of human power. We're fascinated and entranced by power, we human beings, in families, in communities and groups, and in nations. We think that human power is ultimate. It likes us to think that it is ultimate and unsurpassable and decisive and eternal. If you're an influencer, well then who could be more powerful than you, you might say? We're dismayed when we think the wrong people have power. We're just, we're, we're, we're heartbroken when that happens. And then we're overjoyed when we think the right people have it because we believe the siren song of power that whoever has human, which humans have power will make everything right. Now there are other lullabies than this. But what puts you to sleep spiritually? What causes you to forget that Jesus is returning? Are you a sleepy Christian? An American theologian called Kevin Van Hooser says this, and I agree with him. I worry that we Christians, we contemporary Christians, are sleepwalking our way through life, asleep at the wheel of our own existence, going through the motions but not really paying attention to the story we inhabit. Knowing that Jesus is returning and that all things will be under his feet changes everything. That's the end of the story that we inhabit, the story we live in, the story we just told one another as we stood to declare the creeds. And we need to not just go through the motions of saying those words, but we need to live in that story. We need to be awake in it. Our salvation is near. And since we realize this, Paul tells us, let us lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of the light. Let us live honorably as in the day. Wake up and live in the truth according to the reality that Jesus is is returning. The night is almost past and the first rays of the dawn appearing over the horizon. Pretty soon everything will be lit up and shown for what it is. So let's live like that, not like the cockroaches that skulk around in the dark. My mum once described, you know, that moment that you go downstairs in the middle of the night, maybe to raid the fridge, to get a drink, something like that, and you switch the light on. You know that moment? And all the cockies in your kitchen, what do they do? They suddenly scurry away as if they'd been caught selling drugs in a nightclub raid. That's a great image. Don't live like a nocturnal creature because the light is about to be switched on. 
When we fall spiritually asleep, we can behave as if that's not the case. And we behave as if what we do will never be exposed, if what we do does not matter, as if we will never have to give account for who we are or what we do. And Paul's got three types of behavior that he names that are distinctive behaviors of the darkness, of the nighttime. He's got reveling, reveling and drunkenness, debauchery and licentiousness, quarreling and jealousy. Well, our translation has sort of used rather pompous English words to veil in politeness what Paul's really saying here. These are the activities of the night, the, the bad partying, the bad sex, the rabble-rousing that we should put aside because our light, the light is about to shine. Now, is Paul just being a, a kind of Puritan here? Is there something of the Christian killjoy spirit in play? Well, that, be, that would be odd, since Jesus himself was known to enjoy a feast, produced quite a lot of wine, and spoke of heaven as a banquet. No, the key to Paul's thinking here comes out in the verses before this, from verses 8 through to 12, 8 through to 10, I should say. These activities are dark because they are the antithesis of love and they are the opposite of hope. The boozy party, the secret affair, the workplace vendetta. None of these is loving. None of these is hopeful. They merely approximate the joy of heaven. They promise us freedom, fellowship, joy and justice. But they don't give us anything of the kind. They only cause us and others misery. So we, Christians, brothers and sisters, don't do drunken revelry. Now, I don't have to tell you all the cliches about the misuse of alcohol. It gives us a false confidence and makes us do things we don't want to do. It helps us to forget rather than face our worries, provides only a temporary relief for an anxiety that then intensifies the next morning, and then there's the damaging health effects, of course. A couple of years ago, I decided to stop drinking, partly because it brought out the jerkier side of my personality, and I didn't like what I found myself doing, even after only a couple of drinks. I was not a loving or hopeful person when I drank. I would forget the coming of the light. But drunken revelry is not what we Christians do. Now, Christians have a lot to celebrate and give thanks for. And alcohol can be a part of that. But our celebrating should be directed towards the coming of Jesus, whose death we, after all, remember with bread and wine. We've got a true joy, so we don't need the make-believe sort. We celebrate to remember. We don't celebrate to blot out reality. We celebrate to face it to accept it, to live in it, to anticipate it. And because Christ is coming, we're also those who don't engage in what Paul calls debauchery and licentiousness, more literally, immoral sex and rampant sensuality. Never have we lived in a culture in which a hookup is easier. Easier because we have an app for it. 
We've invented expressions like friends with benefits. We've come to accept multiple sexual partners as the norm and pornography as good sex education. Our media outlets campaign to normalise the sex industry as if it's just another career choice that you might uh, have at the old boys or old girls career night at a school. As if sex were a product to be bought and sold and not a person. But that's not what we Christians do. We do marriage and we keep sex for marriage, for a commitment with another person. And that might seem weird and traditional and quaint, passé. But remember, Jesus is coming back and we'll see who's up to date when he does. And add to this list quarrelling and jealousy. Now, perhaps the parties and the affairs aren't your thing, but I'm guessing that quarrelling and jealousy are a temptation for everyone here. The wrangling that obsesses us in human communities everywhere, where we grow to hate one another with a passion and to want to tear at each other, can be totally absorbing. I know that because it absorbs me. These things can fill your heart to overflowing so that you can wake up in the middle of the night thinking about them. That's been my experience. To see your enemy succeed and flourish is one of life's most bitter pills to swallow. And so we want them to fail. We love that moment that we fail. In honour of Clive James, who died this week, he once wrote this poem, which was entitled, The Book of My Enemy Has Been Remainded which means that the sweet joy of seeing your enemy's book on the, on the leftovers table on a bookshop for an author. Well, that's us, isn't it? That's our human nature. Well, we stoke up arguments for the sake of it. Being a pastor has given me a ringside seat to some of the most perverse aspects of human nature. And one thing I would say is this, that for not a few people, causing conflict is their catnip. They just love it because it's exciting. They'd rather a soap opera than everybody getting on. They'd rather be miserable or cause misery than be at peace because it's better than boredom. But that's not what we Christians do, is it? Our Lord is coming. The Lord whose name is love. And so we get ready for him. We make the place tidy for him by working hard at being at peace with one another. We don't do the things of darkness. We pursue the things of light, living honourably. As Paul says here, put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a suit of clothes or a suit of armour. We are dressed by and with and for him, living as we would like him to find us when he returns. And so Christians, wake up! We need to hear the message of that old spiritual. People get ready. There's a trainer coming. You don't need no ticket. Just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesels humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. People get ready. For that train, Jesus is coming. So how do we get ready? How do we keep ourselves spiritually awake how do you get ready for the train? 
Well, I don't know about you, when you have to stay awake, you've got an exam or some work deadline or whatever it might be, or you have to pick someone up uh, from a late night plane or train, whatever it is, what do you do to keep awake? Well, I personally try a couple of strong espressos. That usually does it for me. Well, what's a great shot of spiritual espresso? What will keep you awake in just the way that Paul is suggesting here? Well, notice that Paul contrasts putting on the Lord Jesus Christ with gratifying the desires of the flesh in that last verse of our passage, verse 13. What he's saying there is we need a, a deeper desire, a desire for Jesus that will take our minds off the desires of our world, that will wake us up to his reality. We need to long for him more deeply because his way is truer and richer and better than anything else. That's why, as we gather together for this short hour each week, we wake each other up by singing the songs of longing for our heavenly home. We celebrate together, not trying to forget, but trying to remember his love for us so deep. We remind one another of the profound truths of the good news, of the gospel, and of how good that good news is. And we show each other, we model for one another what living in the light will be as we practice love for one another through thick and through thin, not pretending that it's easy, but doing it even when it's hard. We tell each other that it's not normal that the world is so scarred by evil and rent with suffering. One of the great temptations of our modern world is to accept suffering as normal, is to accept brokenness as how it should be, to just shrug our shoulders. But knowing that Jesus is coming with his justice and his peace, we're reminded to long for his world, for his kingdom. We proclaim together and to one another that even death itself is not the end, but that just around the corner is the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory, coming with the angels of heaven in his train to judge all things, and that the earth will then be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Thanks for listening please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.